Welcome to Expert Insights. This session was recorded in front of a live webinar audience on Tuesday, the 16th of May, 2023. The topic is Teachers' Mental Health and Wellbeing, a Profession in Crisis. On the panel, we have Sciencia Associate Professor Dr. Eliza Werner-Seidler. Dr. Werner-Seidler is the Head of Population Mental Health Research at Black Dog Institute and is also a Clinical Psychologist and NHMRC Emerging Leader Fellow. We also have Morgana Walker, Director and Psychologist from Morgana Walker and Associates and Be Kind Psychology. Our lived experience representative is Liz. And chairing the session, we have Dr. Sarah Barker. Warm welcome to you, everybody. I'm Sarah Barker, and welcome to Teachers Mental Health and Wellbeing, a profession in crisis. So I'd like to acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as the traditional owners of country. I'm in Melbourne or Nam, and I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people, uh, and I extend that respect warmly to the traditional owners of all the lands from where we're gathering today, and particularly to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who are with us here today. And we pay our respects to elders, past and present, and we're committed to making a positive contribution to the mental health and well-being of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people across Australia. I'm going to introduce our panel members. So today we have Scientia Associate Professor Lisa Werner-Seidler. We've also got Morgana Walker and Liz. So Lisa, could I ask you to begin by introducing yourself? Yeah, thanks, Sarah. So my name's Eliza. I'm an academic here at the Black Dog Institute. Um, I guess my area has, um, until probably a couple of years ago, focused on student wellbeing, and I became really interested in this area after spending some time in the classroom, speaking to teachers and learning from them what our students need and actually noticing and acknowledging some of the really difficult conditions that teachers are working under. And I guess that sort of led me down a bit of a rabbit hole that's lasted many years. And I've, I've developed an interest in, in teacher mental health and well-being as part of kind of a broader program of work around student well-being and, and overall school mental health. Great. Thank you, Elisa. Morgana, welcome. Hello. Thank you, Sarah. I am a psychologist in private practice working with children through to adults. Uh, I'm also a registered teacher and went and did further study in working with uh, children with special needs. I've worked in independent settings, Catholic settings and government settings, culminating in work uh, for the Department of Education in complex matters before going into private practice where during that time and more recently I've supported dozens of principals who are dealing with crisis situations in their schools and, uh, yeah, over 400 hours worth of work with principals who have been affected by the pandemic, bushfires, uh, or just the regular uh, difficulties that they face each day in their communities. Thank you, Morgana. That's great expertise and knowledge you're bringing to the panel today. Thanks for joining us. And Liz, can you share a little bit about yourself, please? Welcome. Yes, thanks, Sarah. I'm Liz. I'm a teacher now um, and have been for about 15 years in the primary setting. Uh, so currently working uh, on the south coast of New South Wales in a public school in an infant special needs class. Um, but most of my experience has been in the mainstream classrooms. So all around New South Wales. Terrific. So, oh, yeah. Fantastic. Thank you very much for giving up your time today. No worries. 
So, Elise, I'll begin with you. You've been researching teachers' experiences of their profession in Australia, and you've been looking at teachers' mental health and wellbeing with concerning findings. Can you tell us about what you've found in terms of teachers' workloads, the impact of teacher shortages that our nation's experiencing, and the desire to remain in the in the profession at the moment? Yeah, so look, I, I don't think that any of this will be a huge surprise to people interested in this topic or working in this space. Um, we did a national survey, which we started at the end of last year, and that was really to capture the experiences of teachers kind of at the we haven't really, you know, the pandemic isn't over, but kind of at the end of the lockdowns and remote teaching, because we heard loud and clear that it was extremely stressful going through all of those changes and and um, delivering, you know, educating young people using a different a different format and also looking after people's own families. So I guess what we found is about 70% of the people surveyed and we had about 5,000 people in our survey, so it was a really good representative sample, um, are reporting un unmanageable workloads, which is really concerning. 80% uh, of schools are, uh, of teachers were reporting that their schools have teacher shortages. And I guess the, the important thing for that is, you know, there's one of two things. First of all, it means that teachers are being drawn in to teach in classes that they don't necessarily have expertise or experience in. And that, that has negative impacts, not just for their kind of morale. You know, if I've spent years at uni um, learning to teach history and geography, I don't want to be thrown onto a music class. You know, that, 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 that would be, you know, we hear from teachers that's really undervaluing. And of course, it's not good for students either. So I guess that's kind of one of the effects. Um, and the other one is that one of the consequences is it's very difficult for, for teachers to be able to take leave um, when they deserve it, when they need it. When you have a shortage in your school, if you take leave and that's going to put more pressure on your peers, I think, you know, school leaders have a really difficult time at the moment working out sort of where the balance is and being able to afford, it's not a privilege, it's a right to be able to take leave when you needed. And I think that, you know, a stretch system is really reflective of um, difficulty with some really, you know, basic kind of workplace conditions. I guess the other thing is we're hearing that about half of the teaching workforce that we surveyed and admittedly people willing to participate in a survey, maybe having a very good or a very negative experience, about half of them are considering leaving the profession in the next 12 months. So that's a real that's a real worry. Uh, the federal government's done some modelling around this. We're looking at a shortage of about 4,000 teachers by 2025. Um, and with increasing numbers of teachers leaving the profession, that worsens things for the ones that are left. So, you know, we're in a terrible cycle at the moment, I think, of worsening conditions and teachers leaving. And I guess I'm really hopeful that we might be able to do something about that. Yeah, me too. Okay, thank you, Elisa. Liz, what are some of the key pressures you've experienced and what's the effect of workload and staff shortages like been like for you and your colleagues? I think the main thing is with teaching at the moment, it's just all too much. I think teachers in general just are overwhelmed by the workload. You know, one one part of it and the main part of it is actually teaching the students and the other part is the administration that I think has really um, gone up her a fair fair hike, especially over COVID. But even just um, you know, there's a lot more data around teaching now, and a lot more recording around teaching. Um, so you know, you pretty much can't do much at all without recording it down for either the school system or either your own personal records for that type of thing. So I think, um, yeah, there's a lot more uh, admin tasks that we're now doing. Student behaviour is big for stress. So, you know, if a teacher's had a hard day in the classroom with behavioural kids, 
you know, there's not much in, in place, I guess, to support that teacher the next day or, you know, there's no sort of policies, I guess, around that. They might be checked on by their AP or their executive, but, you know, there's sort of not much time to regroup if something does happen in the classroom that's not lovely. So, yeah, there's probably a few few areas that could be uh, improved there. But, yeah, I definitely think the admin side is probably the biggest part that has changed since I started, um, so 15 years ago, and probably even more contact with parents and things like that has really gotten more, <laughs> gotten more and lately. So yeah, there's just more of everything. So, um, and there's more, you know, there's more professional learning that teachers are expected to do. So yeah, more, more and more and more of everything with no added sort of, I guess, time, time to do it in the day. Um, still the same amount of uh, face-to-face teaching. Sure. And the effect on your desire to remain in the profession when you've got so many pressures that are increasing and there's kind of not an end in sight to that, does that affect your desire? Yeah, definitely. It's probably not about the word desire as much as necessity. Yeah. <laughs> necessity of work. Um, yeah, so you just sort of get on with it um, and I guess prioritise and just do what you can and, um, you know, I guess you're um, – empathizing with those around you because you're all in the same boat, which I guess doesn't help either for a, a negative yeah. <laughs> staff room. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, trying to trying to lift lift colleagues or those around you. Um yeah, so that type of thing, sure. Thanks, Liz. Morgana, how does this fit what you with what you see in your work as a psychologist with educators? Oh, I think uh, the study that um, has already been discussed and what you've described, Liz, is exactly it. It's there's more and more and more, and uh, it's not necessarily making things better for the students or the families. And bringing it back to the pandemic, we had already a job that was uh, losing its spark, losing its joy when you take into account the extra professional development requirements, the uh, compliance to VIT registration, even starting in, in a role, as well as uh, now having so many more stakeholders involved in what was previously uh, a principal making decisions in a school for their school and for their community. And they knew that responding to the teaching requirements of the students and then that filtering down to the students. As a teacher, there is so many great moments that you can experience but when you're against a clock and filling in a spreadsheet and responding to a, multi- a multitude of um, dysregulated parents and a huge pile of emails, it can just suck all of that out. And what that's what we found for so many of the people that I worked with through the pandemic, all the little fun things that happen in your day as a teacher were replaced by screens and worrying about their well-being while also trying to manage your own and your own family's well-being mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Morgana. Excellent, excellent points. So, Elisa, what have you found in terms of teachers' mental health and well-being? Yeah, so I think this is something that hasn't, we haven't really had a light on this before. I think in the kind of existing literature and popular media, we hear about stress and burnout a lot, but we don't actually hear about mental health. Um, and so that's what we looked at. We looked at um, depression, anxiety, and stress in the teaching workforce. We already know that it's higher than the general population, but we didn't know quite how high it was. So we've got about 50% of teachers reporting symptoms likely to meet criteria for depression, about 48% for anxiety, and 60% for you know, concerning levels of stress. Yeah, I don't want to paint 
you know, such a bleak picture, but it's, it's not looking good. You know, it, it's very difficult. And of course, we, we, we don't know what we can attribute this to. Of course, you know, teachers aren't teaching in a vacuum. There are other things going on, but this level of stress, anxiety, and depression for a group of people in the same workforce. I mean, it's, it's, we see similar things in junior doctors and nurses, and they're at very high risk um, for mental health problems. And I think, I don't know, I think in some ways, we have frontline workers and teachers, you know, things were bad before the, the pandemic and they're, they're just even worse now. So I guess I'm really hoping to shine a light on this. I would like to see system levels change. I, I know I'm just one person and I'm an academic. So um, that's, you know, I can, I can lobby to the best of my ability and I can do the research that kind of uncovers these problems. But I think we do really need to see some changes and I don't think it's going to be enough to, deliver individually focused mental health programs to teachers. I don't actually think that's the answer. Um, I think the implicit message in that is, you know, toughen up, deal with it better, get through your emails faster, get better at your admin. Um, and that's not, that's, you know, that's really not the solution at all, but rather to look at some of the issues like what you were speaking about, Morgana, that are driving um, and Liz that are driving these problems and start to address them. Great. Thank you, Elisa. Yeah, that's um, yeah, they're really concerning findings. Okay, and the effect of these mental health and wellbeing concerns on teachers' desire and capacity to remain in the profession. What's that, Elisa? What's the research saying? Yeah, so I, so I mean, experiencing mental health problems is a is associated with a greater intent to leave the profession. Not surprisingly, um, it's also having it's also having uh, practical impacts in schools. So so something that we found is that sixty percent of absences over the previous month were attributable to mental health problems. So that's teachers off on stress leave, sick days, mental health days, um, and so that's obviously having implications and consequences for um, the whole teaching staff within a school and also the students. So I think, you know, these are, these are quite urgent areas. Um, I've recently become a parent to a school-aged child for the first time and it blows my mind all of the different, I guess, responsibilities placed on teachers. I mean, I try not to, you know, I really am very, you know, I, I want to let the teachers teach. You know, they, they really should not be replying to emails, in my opinion, um, outside of work hours. They don't need to worry about where someone's left their hat or their jumper. Like that's really not their roles. And I think that they're, you know, I think part of the the piece is parents and parent expectations. And I think, you know, we, we can't just place everything on the schools. We also have to look at ourselves and the parent community and what we can be doing to, to help our teachers teach our kids and let them do just that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Liz, to what extent do these findings about teacher wellbeing resonate with you and your experiences with your colleagues as well? Yeah, I um, yeah, none of it's none of it's um new news, I guess. Um, and yeah, you definitely feel it on the ground. Um, and I do know I've spoken to a few sort of graduates that um just can't believe what it actually is like once you are teaching. Um, and quite different to what that imagined. Um, and a lot that finish finish a um, teaching degree and they're sort of more mature age people that I'm talking to. And they've um, they've once they've finished the degree instead of going into a full-time job, they've opted for casual or temporary work um, to just not be on that full-time class um, because the the responsibilities that go with that seem too great 
um, and they don't want to burn out. That's literally their words. I, I'm st just starting. I don't want to burn out too quickly. So I just find that a really interesting uh, mindset for fresh teachers to choose not to go on a full-time class, which is ultimately, um, you know, the the job, I guess, that you're yeah, and training for. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's it's very right. telling about the system. Well, yeah. yeah, I just so, and that's not sort of isolated. Um, you know, that's a few few people and in different areas as well. So um, I, th I think it's sad and I think it, I think it's sad for the kids because, yeah, I think as um, Alicia was saying before, she started with interest in student wellbeing. And um, I think that's, that's one of the biggest things, you know, schools are about the children, of course, but, you know, we're all teachers, we're role models for the, for the students. So if we're not coping ourselves, it's, it's not going to go well, is it? No matter what, <laughs> no matter what we're trying to teach. Um, so I think there is, you know, thankfully a shift into this space of, of teacher wellbeing, but yeah, it's slow and it's quite late. So I think we're sort of chasing our tails a bit now, trying to get on top of things, but yeah, it's definitely been sort of seeping, seeping along slowly, you know, especially with all the strikes that happened over the last few years, you know, that, that all caused, you know, even stress in the, in the workforce of um, who was striking and who wasn't and who's paying for the uh, union and who's not and, you know, all that type of thing. So even though teachers look united in that front, um, that also added pressure as well. So it hasn't been easy, I guess. And um, there haven't been any huge changes from those, from those things happening either. So it, you know, it hasn't, I guess teachers probably don't feel very heard right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Liz. Morgana, what have been your observations of teacher and principal wellbeing um, been in your work pre-pandemic and now? How many hours have you got? <laughs> a couple of things. You spoke about graduate teachers uh, coming in and saying they don't want to take on a full-time load. One of my observations is due to necessity, we have been having graduate teachers on their last uh, placement doing their rounds and then getting offered a job and the principals having to apply to VIT to, ha to have those students get permission to teach, which means that the whole system is, is on the brink of collapse. We're not even allowing new teachers to find their voice, find their feet in classrooms because they're already starting to fill in a gap as an employee rather than even just having their first year. Another thing that I was I'm very concerned about is that we just because we went to school does not mean that we know how to teach. And as Elisa mentioned, there are a lot of parents involved with their child's school uh, and their child's schooling for reasons that say I'm doing the right thing by my child. I'm going to make sure that this teacher looks after my child. Number one, a couple of generations ago, when you have families that are bigger, there may be four, five, six children. The parents perhaps were not as helicopter or lawnmower parents involved. Uh, and they were just happy that the child came home in one piece. And if the child came home after having been in trouble with the teacher, that child knew they were going to be in trouble at home. So when we have minimized or diluted the 
status of teacher to babysitter uh, and someone who can be the recipient of education from people outside education, then we get the, we get children that are confused about who has what role. And unfortunately, we have an increase in the number of children who are anxious that they share that with their parent. The parent brings that information to school. So now the teacher is not only teaching, looking for the child's hat, they're also mental health professionals in this space, so to speak, and having to deal with not only literacy and numeracy, but also uh, psychological issues as well. The responsibility of parenting needs to be with the parents, not the teachers. The teachers themselves have their own parenting uh, responsibilities. They also quite often have caretaker responsibilities of their own parents, their own children and other people in the community. They are nurturing individuals who have taken up a vocation to teach rather than a job for a salary. The last thing I want to say on this is if teaching was so good, why aren't the children of teachers who see their parents working ridiculous hours every day saying, oh, yes, me too? They are not. They are not going following in their footsteps of their parents because they know how hard the job is. Mm, mm, thanks, Morgana. So, Morgana, in your work with um, teachers and principals, what practical ideas and strategies do you find helpful um, in your work with them to support them? What What are the things that are most Thanks, Morgana. So, Morgana, in your work with teachers and principals, what practical ideas and strategies do you find helpful um, in your work with them to support them? What What are the things that are most effective? We often talk about boundaries. We often talk about uh, whose role is what. We often use phrases like, okay, we're not happy about certain things, but we just have to, to borrow a phrase, uh, put your big girl pants on and just get on with it. Uh, because I think that mindset of I have to take on everything is debilitating. Uh, one great thing that came out of the pandemic and lockdowns was the uh, introduction of the SSGs or PSG meetings, the, the student support meetings to be held online. So it means that the teachers and the principals can limit that amount of time to just the scheduled time rather than on occasion individuals would come in and expect to gobble up hours of the principal's time on their child. I know that when I'm talking to principals, sometimes validating the fact that their job is so huge uh, can be really helpful because I am there to support them. And quite often the issues that they're discussing something that they cannot talk to anybody else about. They can't talk to their line manager. They can't talk to their colleagues. They can't talk about how heavy it is to wear that crown. And they are tired and they are bringing their retirements earlier. They are wanting to go part-time. They are trying to run schools on a very limited budget with no ability to actually make business decisions that would either bring money in or manage the decisions because they quite often, and particularly in the government system, those decisions come outside their school. They are made in regional offices. They are made in the city. They are made from someone sitting at home in their pajamas, working from home. And it is very difficult for 
principals and teachers to keep doing the thing that they love while also having so many cooks in the kitchen, if you will. Mm, mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Thanks, Morgana. Liz, what sorts of strategies have been helpful to you um, to look after your well-being during pre-pandemic and also that very challenging time for teachers, which is now during the pandemic, (laughs) which is ongoing? Um, Leaving at 3.30. Fantastic. (laughs) On the dot. Um, Great. That that helps me a lot. Um, You get comments about it sometimes. That's um, so our special ed teachers, we all leave at 3.30. That's sort of how we, one of our biggest functioning functioning tools, I guess. Um, That's not to say we don't always do some work later. Um, We'll often do work later on, but not, not at school. Um, yeah, I, when you, once you walk into school, you're on. So, um, even if you're there in the morning before the bell, you're, you know, there's kids around early, there's teachers around early, you're sort of on, on from the minute you get there till the minute you leave. So you can't really switch off when you're on the school grounds. So, so leaving as soon as you can helps that, I believe. I guess your own your own well-being and mental health strategies, you know, your exercise, your sleep, all that type of thing, that all helps. Even just having this this kind of podcast now, this, you know, having it talked about. It's never been talked about, you know, and there's always a, a million different things on the students' well-being, um, but not not about the teachers and the principals and the executives. So um that's definitely helped as well. Yeah. Great. Great. Thank you, Liz. Thanks, thanks very much. So a question to all of you, what do each of you think needs to be done to repair and restore the education system and also to restore the well-being of teachers? Elisa, I'll start with you. Okay. So you you cut me off if I go on for too long because I think there are lots of things. Um, And I guess the way that I think about it or the way that it helps me to organise my thinking about this problem is sort of we've got the... The, the profession level, we've got the school level and we've got the individual level. And I think at the level of the profession, like it's actually pretty straightforward, like better pay, much better pay. Let's look at some of the Scandinavian countries and how they've raised the profile of educators. Let's, let's give the profession some respect um, that will attract more young people in, or not even young people, more people into the profession in the first place. And I think like one of the core issues here is it's this feeling of a lack of value. If you're not remunerated properly and you're doing like bloody hard work, like really, really hard work, um, you, you just, you need a bit of respect for that. And I think, you know, the, the standing of the profession is nowhere near where it should be. And I think we could really learn some things from other countries that have done this much better. Um, now, I know we have a federal level task force looking into improving things for teachers, but it's it's been too long. You know, I remember growing up and there was teacher strikes and my mum was a teacher and I've heard all of this stuff anecdotally and I chose not to go into the teaching profession. I did well, I lecture a little bit, but so not entirely, but I'm not teaching in schools. And I think like the progress has been slow and we don't need like incremental change. We need dramatic change, like dramatic reform at the level of the profession. Um, at the level of the school, I think that 
something that I hear from the teachers that I work with is it has to be led from the leadership. So it has to come from the principal. It has to come from the deputy. It has to come from the executive. It can't just be, you know, up to the teachers to manage their mental health. I think, um, first of all, valuing the mental health of teachers, not talking about, you know, it is very, very important to, to talk about student wellbeing. That's my other basket, but not just limiting the role of the school wellbeing team and school counsellors to looking after student mental health, but also staff mental health. So taking much more of a kind of comprehensive whole of school approach, appropriate resourcing at the school level so that people can take sick days, they can take holidays, um, they you know, they can, you know, access their entitlements, which will keep them healthier at work at that school. And then at the at the individual level, I think, you know, some of the things that Liz was talking about. So making sure that people know what they need to do to keep themselves well, making sure that that they are able to have kind of like a balanced life that includes adequate sleep and exercise, having a system that, you know, I think it's fabulous that you all leave at 3.30 and, and, you know, working with your colleagues, because if you're all going to, if you, if you're all going to do something, you know, there is, there is a like protection and power in numbers. And I think, you know, I don't know how it is at your particular school, but opening up that dialogue between the leadership and the teacher teaching body, I think would go a long way. You know, at, you know, can we agree that after 6 PM, we're actually off, we don't need to be doing emails, maybe 4 PM, whatever it is, but just coming around and just kind of, you know, collectively coming together and trying to work out what some of the school level initiatives might be useful and and sharing that and obviously it depends on your school every school is different some schools that might be completely unacceptable others it would be totally fine so it's obviously you know being sensible about what you propose I remember what I was going to say the last thing that I was going to say at the school level is um maybe it's a systems level maybe it's a school level but giving people secure work so, so a lot of a lot of what I hear is about casual contracts and uncertainty. Um, I loved your point, Morgana. I mean, we're talking about a predominantly female workforce. Many of these teachers are sandwiched between caring for children and caring for aging parents. And on top of that, having this worry about insecure work when we have this huge teacher shortage seems I just don't, I can't get my head around why that is. I think that, you know, permanent positions should be the norm. I think people should be able to feel like they can go off and take their maternity leave and they know that their job will be there when they come back. And I think all of this uncertainty and casualization of the teaching workforce has been absolutely terrible for the mental health of teachers. That's something that I think is quite, you know, concrete and straightforward to fix. Great, Lisa. Wow, so much there. Thank you. Thank you for your thoughts. Morgana, repairing the system, restoring teachers. What what are your thoughts? I have many, many ideas, Sarah, mm. and such little time. And those Individuals that I uh, specifically invited to join this webinar today, I it it will be hard not to cry, knowing how hard these people have worked the last couple of years, and working as a teacher, then special needs and psychology, blah blah blah. We have had the last couple of years. We asked our teachers and our principals to run schools when the world was falling apart and we didn't know what to do. We said, good, go home and uh, teach everybody from home and you're going to manage it. Uh, just do what you've done in the classroom and, you know, it'll be fine. We set teachers up for failure. That first lockdown, I myself uh, felt like a complete imposter as a, as a psychologist trying to look after my own children as a maths teacher, my own children have gaps because I was looking after the needs of 
other people and other people's families. This was the same experience that our teachers and our principals were having. I spoke to principals who were uh, receiving information from a dysregulated person in their uh, school community while they could hear their own children in distress while they were trying to do their own remote learning. If we want to make a difference to uh, the profession, I, I wholeheartedly agree, Eliza, we need to take the book out of a number of other countries who do this better. Why would a, a young uh, person go into teaching when when they finish the same uh, aged person in their friend group, friendship group goes into a different profession and is starting a salary that is twice as high as what they are. This lack of funds does not attract men to the schooling of the teaching profession. So we have an imbalance. When you want to teach the child maths, science, numeracy, drama, art. We need specialists in this particular area as opposed to uh, a generalist idea across a number of different functions in the school. And when we pit leadership against the teaching uh, staff, we have a problem because I can tell you firsthand there are principals in little schools, in big schools, that are managing things on such an enormous, complex, let's say, revolting level. How on earth can they possibly then have anything left over to be visionary and guiding uh, for their the rest of their staff? What has also happened is that during the pandemic, we had everybody trying to do their best and we had celebrations when kids returned to schools and parents putting in, you know, um, thank you very much for doing all the things that you've done for our children with remote learning. After a while, the thanks became a little bit empty as people were sitting at home trying to keep their own jobs and their own uh, incomes afloat and then reduce the children going to school as more of a just get them out of my hair so I can keep my job. How does that translate to I'm also managing my own stuff as a teacher, but now I've got to manage everybody else's central nervous system as well. I managed or I sat beside remotely many people through the, the last couple of years and we are at a crossroads because people who know how to teach well are not able to do that because in some cases the students haven't returned to school as they previously were. We now have school refusal higher than ever. We we now have many, many people uh, who have decided I'm going part-time, I'm retiring early, as I said before, I don't want to do this anymore, and there is no plan for someone coming through. There are a lot of policies. There are a lot of people outside the actual school facility, making decisions about how schools run without ever having to have juggled yard duty and a full bladder. I would like to see people who are in offices making decisions about schools to be relocated to be in a school and have to conduct yard duty and then go back and see just how much it can be accomplished by a human during a school day. The point you made, Liz, about 
you get to school and then your day is done and you get to the end of the day. I'm emotional. Principals and teachers do not go to school at 7 a.m. in the morning because they want to. They do that because they can only get their admin done when no one else is around. Because sure enough, little Johnny lost his school bag, turns up at your door and you've got to manage that. Someone who wants to see you now is at your door and you have to manage that. Then you have to deal with managing how you deal with contractors and maintenance because buildings are part of your remit as a principal or as a leader in a school. And then coordinate the fact that one of the one of the staff is away and you've got a child on a roof because that's just what they do sometimes. And you have to manage it in the moment. In the meantime, you've had a fight with your teenage daughter who's called you every name under the sun and you have to regulate that for yourself. My daughters are gorgeous too, by the way. They never yell at me about anything. But if we want to make things different for teachers, we need to think about education for the 21st century rather than for the 19 whatevers. We are preparing students for a world that we don't know how it runs anymore. Why are we doing chalk and talk when in actual fact most of the information we're imparting could be found on Google? We need to be increasing their critical thinking skills rather than their typing skills. We need to be empowering them to look at their post-school experience as in something that they can attain without having to draw upon their life, generating life by whatever else, of a teacher or a school. Parents, step up. Support your kids first. Empower them because little people need to learn how to deal with little problems before they become big people and make the problem someone else's. Do not make the responsibility of creating humans all on teachers. Parents, take responsibility for your own children. Thank you, Morgana. Yeah. Mic drop. I nearly bought a mic because I thought I could do a mic drop. (laughs) Thank you, Morgana. Thank you very much. Liz, your thoughts being part of the system, what's needed to repair it and what's needed for teachers' wellbeing right now? Uh, time, <laughs> time. I think, um, I think that a lot of things teachers need to do, uh, on top of the teaching load needs to be done within the teaching load. So, um, you know, the upskilling or the professional learning, um, programming, the admin, all that kind of thing. Uh, we need more time during the week to do it when we're at the school in the job not as an extra on top of the class. Um, also, we uh, someone mentioned before counsellors, the school counsellors. Um, I think we only ha- we've got 750 students and one counsellor. Um, and I know that um, she's constantly um, assessing students as a psychologist. That's what she's doing. It takes her, she says, a week to assess a student. So on any given day, she has 20 students on her caseload of assessing only. So that's half a year. 
So um, that's not even five minutes of counselling for any child within the school. So that's out of control, <laughs> to be to be frank. And then um, I know our parents that are looking for counsellors outside of the school. You know they can't get in anywhere for their for their children. So that's that's more about the child. But I was thinking more that that then impacts on the teacher because the child's not getting the counselling or the assessment they need. And therefore, the teacher spends a lot of time counselling students and are very involved in families and, you know, what's going on at home. And, you know, if there's been a family breakdown or a move or a death or, you know, a, a teacher is so involved in the lives of their students um, and there's sort of no support in that in that area. So, yeah, there's a lot more involvement in that, yeah, in the family and the, and the child's learning. And, you know, it's not just a fact of, oh, the child's not progressing um, the end. It's, it's why not? What do we need to do more? Who do we need to talk to? What support can the school give? Um, and often, yeah, the principals and the executive, as Morgana said, are working with a really tight budget with, with restrictions made way beyond their levels. So, you know, we have a learning support team meeting every week about which students in the school need support. And it's just like a big passionate argument because <laughs> we're all fighting over money that essentially doesn't exist. Every executive's gone over their budget, their allocated uh, budget. And it's like, do we have more for this? Do we have more? And we don't have more. And so it's trying to, you know, who's who's got the most experience to say which child needs more of what and all fighting for the same thing and essentially arguing with each other because there's just no no room to move, I guess. So, you know, quite, quite strict, tight restraints. All the leaders in the schools are teachers. So, you know, I guess there's a point there where, you know, sometimes fabulous teachers aren't necessarily fabulous leaders. It's only becoming now where the department are sort of introducing, well, in New South Wales anyway, um, leadership kind of fast tracking courses for people to learn to lead. So I think the more leadership opportunities for teachers to learn to lead would be wonderful. And in saying that, I've had some fabulous principals and executives. So that's not by any means <laughs> to say that I haven't been led by wonderful people, but it's it's completely different skills, I think. And I think as well, um, we've talked a little bit about temporary, temporary work. Definitely the most stressful times in my career have been as a temporary teacher, which has been the majority of my career. And that term four hits and it is just, uh, <laughs> um, you know, applying even just for another temporary year, applying against your colleagues when you know there's only so many positions available, outsiders coming into a school and, um, and hired, employed over sort of people that have been there for a few years and then the permanency. So I actually, just with my career, the, the reason I got into the special ed was because well or two reasons. Wellbeing was a huge thing for me. And I felt sort of, I was going towards that way in the classroom over the, over the curriculum as such, but also um, that's where I could get a permanent job. So I moved into special ed teaching um, and this is my second year in that. And I did get a permanent job. Congratulations. I, thank you. Mm. <laughs> I had to, I did have to start the Masters of Inclusive Ed to, to get that job. I've since paused that because obviously study and full-time uh, teaching is a whole other thing entirely. But in terms of um, not being trained appropriately for my area, I guess I'm a mainstream teacher and I'm now teaching special ed. Um, but it's not uncommon and it's not unusual and it's definitely a just grin and bear it type situation. 
yeah, I guess back to the question of what would help is just a bit more time within the school week to to do all the extra stuff as opposed to it being on top of the um, the teaching load. And yeah, just a bit more awareness around, you know, all the family emotions. As Morgana said, you've got a lot of parent stuff coming at you. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion in that. Um, and uh, you definitely have to be sort of ready to justify any action you take um, with a child, whether it be a, um, a discipline measure, which people don't even really like that word anymore, discipline or consequences. You know, it all has to be about, you know, what, what resilience did we build up in the child or the adversity? It can't just be you've done the wrong thing and now you're going to miss out on something. Um, that that even just that concept seems to be gone with the wind, <laughs> um, which is, you know, it's a shame because at the end of the day, there does have to be boundaries and that's where students feel safe. So when you have to continually justify your actions and sort of, yeah, or even just to feel that you do need to justify. It's an eggshell system it's if you a, have to justify. You're not safe. And yeah. that's, that's, I guess, why my point about recording even your own personal records you know, to ensure that when anyone says anything about something that happened, um, you have you have it written down and you know exactly what happened and what you said and how you dealt with it. Um, and then you have the backup of your executive and principals and that type of thing. So, um, yeah, there's a lot, there's so much in it. It's hard to um, pinpoint exactly. I guess that's the biggest thing. There's so much. It's where do you start and what do you, what do you, where do you, what do you do first? Yeah. Thank you, Liz. Thank you. That's a real insight into, yeah, your experience. Thank you. Okay. So, Aliza, if there were just three things that could be changed, and I know this is hard, but if we go global big picture, what does the research suggest would have the biggest positive impact on teachers' mental health and wellbeing? Sure. So I'll get to the research in a minute, but I think the evidence is clear. If you pay teachers more and raise the profile of the profession, that goes some way in alleviating some of the major pain points. So that's the first point. There is a whole literature around um, what's known as job control, which really means kind of autonomy in the role. And so I think, um, and this is something that it like is feasible, it, it is achievable. So I think finding ways to help shape the roles and responsibilities with teachers, by teachers, for teachers, would go a long way in improving wellbeing. So of course there is school parameters and you know the school context which you need to work in. But the more somebody feels like they have control over how they spend their day teaching, how they organize their lessons, you know, and it is a delicate line between the curriculum and what you need to get through and your school policies and processes. But I think increasing that level of autonomy and control over one's job and peeling away some of that unnecessary administration. So doing away with a lot of the recording, doing away with a lot of the admin, looking at ways to increase the time that teachers have available to teach and giving them control over how they teach, how they structure their day, how they do things and being less prescriptive about it would be another really good step in the right direction. And then finally, I think like school level resourcing so that there are school counsellors able to see kids when they need it so that we do improve the ratios so that I guess many teachers report the thing that causes them the most stress during the day is disruptive behaviour in 
kids. And so finding ways to manage that, that is not the role of the teacher. Increasingly, it spills over and it has massive impacts on, on the classroom, but finding ways to connect these young people with the health, help and support that they need, I think would reduce kind of the stress um, in the day-to-day for teachers. And again, that's a resourcing issue. You, you know, you're on the on the South Coast, Liz, can't get in to see a psychologist and I'm in Sydney. You know, the wait list are three months or longer. If you want an assessment, like a, a cognitive assessment for a child, it's longer. And so accessing those same services in re- uh, regional areas is even harder. So, I mean, that's a broader psychology workforce issue and I think that's that's something that is has got increased attention but still it takes a long time to work up a new workforce um, and see people in these roles and just like junior teachers or new graduates um, junior psychologists don't want to take on full loads I'm a psychologist and we see it in the new grads all the time and maybe a day here part-time I mean they're really concerned about their own well-being and understandably so. So I think we, you know, we have a serious workforce issue and addressing that would go some way in kind of reducing the pressure on teachers by by um, providing the kids the support that they need. Thanks, Eliza. Morgana, three most powerful things that you can see would make a difference at the moment to teacher and principal well-being. Mm, um, I think, you know, we've spoken before about the elevating status and, and uh, the financial uh, the direct impact that that uh, money makes. Uh, that also, uh, when you were talking about the resourcing of the schools, you're exactly right. Uh, when you talk about the the emphasis that we have been putting on to wellbeing, and obviously that's my my jam, and I I want to be focusing on that, and so I should as the uh, mental health practitioner, a teacher who's got a heart as big as all outdoors wants to be able to help. And then all of a sudden they've found themselves very much in um, a situation where they, they are be going beyond their own uh, boundary setting. And if you've got a person that is on a contract who wants to make sure that they are doing a great job, they will go above and beyond. They will work on a Sunday. They will work on a Saturday. They will be there all hours uh, and do too much to the point where they will burn out. So we do need to give a little bit more stability to uh, those individuals. Uh, you know, we, it makes me nervous when I hear around, you know, people going into um, the outside their remit in terms of their professional training, because it will increase the amount of burnout. But when you have a policy around a child can go to their local neighbourhood school and there is no um, compulsion for the family to provide any background information or consent to be assessed. You have children with significant, significant needs going into their local neighbourhood school and being in a mainstream classroom with a teacher who's doing their best as it is. And we know that the numbers of kids with special needs are going up, but that's not, it's not translating into the training that new grads are getting in their training. It's the same as it always has been. 95% of your time will be spent on 5% of your students. When those 5% of students have significant intellectual, physical, emotional, and violent tendencies then what hope does a mainstream teacher have? What hope does a school have when they need to get more and more aids? And 
the policy cannot be just simply get more feet on the ground or more school-wide behaviour policy training because you've got big-hearted people who have chosen education as as a vocation leaving even faster because they are worried for their own safety. The the nearing retirement teacher assistant who is there supporting a kid with uh, significant challenging behaviours will leave. She was there to make sure that people are reading better, not to be managing someone's toileting. And so if we continue to see schools as a place where teachers and principals don't have the rights but have all the responsibilities, then you are going to have more burnout and faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so it's policy change around that. Policy yeah. change around mm-hmm. that. As a special ed qualified teacher, I've worked in specialist settings and loved it. It's hard work, but I had the training. I could not imagine that some of those kids would be getting the best of the teaching staff and, if anything, became um, out, became um, scarred by the experience when they don't get invited to birthday parties. They don't get invited to do anything else. It's just a management by people who are trying to do their best. It's not good outcomes. And it's, it's, it's one of the things that I saw over and over again, why teachers and principals will leave when you do not have the resources in a school or purpose-built places. I spent a lot of time trying to get fences put in because you had children that would abscond. And if you were at a school near a very busy highway, that was problematic. So suddenly principals and teachers are managing things about grounds instead of going back and dealing with school. So let's just make sure that they are, they are given the opportunity to do what they do best. Uh-huh. Thank you, Morgana. Liz, what are your three things that if you, yeah, what would they be in terms of system, in terms of teacher mental health and well-being? Well, money helps everyone, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Hard to go past that one. But I also think, um, you know, we don't have to have just purely psychologists as counsellors in the schools. We could have counsellors. So whack a few of them in. Student learning support officers or SLSOs, as we we say, um, they could be doing teacher duties. They've all got working with children checks. I don't know why more people can't be doing playground duties to just ease the teacher load. Um, I learnt more in the school than at uni. Fourth year of uni is at school. You're you're helping, you're there, you're doing it with everyone. Um, That would free up a heap of teacher time um, and teach uh, graduates what it's actually like and and some coping strategies. So I think there are some elements that we could switch around quickly without too much fuss to make a huge difference. So it's just thinking about what we've got and how it could fit together a bit better. Mm, Thank you, Liz. And then one thing from each of you, we've talked a lot about a lot of concerning findings. What gives you hope for teachers? Just one thing, because then we'll need to finish off, but one thing that gives you hope for teachers in the teaching profession, Aliza. I think it's the committed individuals. I think it's the, the the people who choose to go into teaching. They're not doing it for the money. They're not doing it for the status. They really care about educating the kids. And I think um, like this is a special group of people and it gives me like hope that these people are in the profession. And I know you only said one, but I've got to say, I think 
the New South Wales government change. Traditionally, the Labor governments have been better for teachers and I really hope that we see some progress in the area with the recent change. Thank you, Elisa. Morgana. I know I had a couple, um, but I think, you know, leaning on what Elisa has also said, the people I've always worked with in schools are a special uh, type of person. And the fact that we are going to continue to need teachers. And I think the hope that we can have is that schools are changing and we are always seeing empowered young people coming through. And while we may not necessarily know the ideas that they have yet, I can't wait to see what the challenges of the last few years have meant that the the youth of today becoming the young adults of the future will adopt a different way of doing things. And I look forward to them saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it this way. I think being able to afford the whole um, uh, across uh, locations, uh, education is going to be really something that's great and hopefully can give some more autonomy to the individuals who say, you know what, I am a specialist teacher in this particular area and I'm going to make my services available, but on my terms. And when we don't have people actually physically in a school being that educator, then we can make it a little bit more tailor-made. So differentiation moves from just the teacher's remit to an education systems remit. And I I can't wait. Yeah, great. Thank you, Morgana. And Liz, your hope. My hope. Yeah, it's hard not to mention um, Labor Alita, Alita and um, Prue Carr. She's hopefully come on, Prue. Um, she's saying a lot. Already had a bit of chat about some um, temporary to permanent positions already. So starting strong, we're really hoping it keeps going. And, you know, it's... I guess, yes, as much as we look at the teachers, it's all about the kiddies, you know, and there's some good kids coming through. They're our future. So we need to look after the people looking after them. So thank you for doing this. This is a um, this is a good thing. Great. Thank you, Liz. Thank you to all of you for coming on today and for sharing your expertise and experiences. I will mention to you the 10 app, the, the Essential Network website, which is great for health professionals, but actually great for teachers too. It's not set up for teachers, but everyone is available to all the public. And there are great, um, there's an excellent module called Navigating Burnout on that. Um, we also recommend in terms of resources, the This Way Up has um, excellent short uh, low cost or free um, uh, courses that can be accessed. And the Worry Time app is also a very good one um, for uh, both health professionals and educators in the audience. So thank you very, very much for joining us today, everyone. Thank you to all the educators and the health professionals and everyone in the audience today. Thank you for your good questions. A very big thank you to everyone. It's a really important topic and thank you to our panellists for giving up their time and expertise and to the teachers, educators, principals, health professionals and public in the audience who are interested in this topic. Thank you for coming today. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, subscribe to and review Black Dog Institute on iTunes or your preferred podcasting platform. If you're interested in knowing more about our educational programs and research, please visit our website at blackdoginstitute.org.
www.ghostbusters.com.au.